how do we know that the Bible is holy? How do we know it's holy? I've brought a few of my um, my Bibles in. I don't know if that's a bit weird, but I just thought I'd show you what they, what they look like, what they are. This is an old um, authorized version. Uh, it was a gift to me. I get given quite a few of these. I don't know if it's because people want me to read out of them more or whatever it is. They've got, there's a lovely poetry and a lovely flavor and a lovely feel to some of these, um, to this translation of the Bible. It's a really helpful one. I don't often uh, preach from it directly. Um, this is a bit of a beast. This was a gift as well. I couldn't afford one of these. It's an ESV. Um, I feel a bit intimidated by the gold leaf. I do a lot of my Bible reading in the bath, so this doesn't get studied as much. You can see how clean the sides of it are. That one's easy. especially the Old Testament. Don't get in there very often, but I'd recommend it. The study notes are really, really good. I couldn't find the one that I wanted to show you, what I would refer to as my lifesaver, my Bible from about 15 to about 22. It's worn out. It's beaten up. It's an NIV study Bible. That has got me through some really tough times. I'm a, that is a familiar friend. Uh, the, the paper is worn thin and worn out. And this is my current Bible. I'd recommend getting one of these as well. It's, uh, I write in it this time. I've not done that before. And I had to um, have a word with myself to sort of figure out if it was all right. It's like a broadsheet uh, version. It's got um, a column that you can write and take notes. So I don't have study notes when I read the Bible as much anymore. I try and make my, no- my own notes. And I find that really helpful. We're talking about the Bible. And my conviction would be, cards on the table, right from the get-go. This book, I can't, I, I can't raise it up high enough or commend it enough or tell you that it's been as of more help to my life. I couldn't commend it any higher. I would hold that these words are eternal words. Vice, the verse that says that all people are like grass. They're all going to get withered up. But God's words... And this is my conviction. God's words are going to last forever. I've been, I don't know if it's just because I'm preaching on it. I've, I've, my social media feed has showed me lots of clips where there's been crazy fires. And people have pulled out the Bibles out of the flames. Now, I don't really know if God works like that. A few people have come. It's been quite odd, actually, really quite weird this week as, as these uh, clips have been presented in front of me. I don't know if God works like that, if he does that. But my conviction is that his word stands forever. I believe that it's active. I believe that this book this paper is actually active. I believe it can convict us. I believe you can read it and, and have your life turned around. It can convict our like inner souls. It can redirect what we think is moral and what's not moral. And it's been a, a light unto me path. That's a fairly famous uh, verse. But I believe that the Bible works like that. I believe that it steers us and it shapes us. But how do we know because I think the way that it works, in our weaker moments as Christians, and maybe if you're not a Christian, you're looking on, how do we know that it's a holy book? I made my way into church today with free Bibles, look like a right holy Joe on my way, and I put them in a bag. So sometimes I feel the weight of it, and I'll walk through Escape with my Bible. Don't, don't often do it, but sometimes I'll do it. But I thought, I'm not walking through with three. I'm not making that kind of a statement. But sometimes you walk around with your Bible, and I think, how do I know I'm not part of I look at other people with religious books and I think, oh, they're in a cult. They've been mind-washed. How do I know that I'm not, how do I know that I'm not in a cult? You can read some really quite out there stuff in this. You know, on a, on a cold Monday morning, you get up and have your quiet time. You're in Leviticus. You're reading about mildew, the rules about mildew or rules about how to sacrifice a sheep or something like this. You can read some really out there stuff. How do we know it's not just a book? 
How do we know it's a holy book? My um, introduction to the Bible, like my earliest memory, was that my grand marshal, who I don't think was a Christian, I don't know, and this might be a familiar story in your life as well. She used to keep it in like a glass cabinet in her house. This is, and it was all like, and I saw lots of this kind of thing. People would put it in a place, and it, it, she also had some uh, like ornaments in there. But I think, in her own way, what she was saying was, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it holy. I'm gonna separate it. So when I need the divine, when I need to, when I'm, when life." Uh, brings its weight upon me, and I need something spiritual, I can go to the glass cupboard because I've separated it off. How do we know if we should, how do we know how to treat this book? How do we know if, like my gran, we should separate it off? We should, we should exalt it. We should consider it sacred and holy. We're making mugs out of ourselves. I think one of the issues for us is, it says on the front, it is holy. That's what it says. So do we, just, do we just take that at face value? I think the thing is you can't just self-declare holiness, can you? It's no good if I just had it written up there, Ash is the cleverest and fastest person in all of Escape right now. Just because it said it, it wouldn't therefore mean that it was true. You'd need to back it up. Something would need to corroborate that evidence. Okay, let's get into the text, because I think this text gives us some great answers. First thing that I think it says, this text, is verse 8 and 9. Let me read verse 8 and 9 to you. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What does that mean? I think the first thing it tells us is that the author of this book is not like us. Bible says that from the get-go. person, and the Bible would tell us, and my conviction would be that God breathes this out, 2 Timothy 3.16. The author of this book is not working on the same level that we are. His motivations are different. His ambitions are different. And it says to us in this text that his ways are not our ways as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Even now, um, we have recently we've sent out the James Webb telescope, an amazing bit of kit. But even now, with all this technology, when we look up to the heavens, you'll see the reports. It's, it's, it's really interesting, I'm incredible what, how far we can see and what we can find out. But even now, we come back with more questions than answers, even, when we, even, with, even with the incredible telescopes that we've got. And we never beat the question or the thing that totally blows I think the common man, and I would describe myself as the common man's mind, is the, is the idea of the ever-expanding universe. Do you know that way when you try and stop, you want to blow your own mind, try and think about the heavens, try and think about the universe and say to yourself, well, it, it, that's the edges of it. And then you think, well, what on earth is there? And some scientists will say, well, the universe is expanding all the time. And I think, well, that's fair enough, but look, what is, something's got to be there for it to get to that point. And our minds are just blown when we think about the heavens. Imagine as this verse writes into a guy in the ancient Near East looking up at the starry sky, looking up at billions of stars, trying to grasp the quantity of the stars, trying to have a sense of the incredible distances that's involved. It's like unexplainably stunning, unquantifiable, humbling. God's motivation God's reasoning, God's purposes are that, so get hold of this, are that high above us. This is what 
God would say. If we can believe in a God, God says to us, my ways are that much higher than your ways. So when we think about, for example, just off the cuff, when we think about our love and all that we know of love, and then sometimes when we think we see the, the edges of our love and the capacity of our love, and we think, well, I can love to this measure. And love kind of works in this sort of logical way. Here's how I understand my love. When we think about God's love, God would say we don't even know the half of the limits of his love. He would say, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. When we think, I think one of the big issues for us is trying to figure out how all this will be resolved. One of the big issues I think for us as Christians today is justice. When we look at all, when we think about stuff like heaven and hell, when we think about the concept of hell, or when we think about the injustice that's in our world right now, how on earth is anything going to reason this out? And our, our minds maybe reach a point where we go, oh, I don't really know where to go with this. This is a real struggle for me. God would say to us, my ways are higher than your ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. They will leave you looking up in wonder. I think we get to sense it. If you've ever been in a position of care for a little child or you're a parent and you're guarding a little tot and the little tot that you're looking after is wanting to run out and play in the road or wanting to fill their mouths with sugar because they like this stuff. And that's pretty much what tots want to do. They want to run out into the middle of the road and eat as much sugar as possible. And as the person who knows a little bit more about the world, a teacher or a parent or a carer or something like that, you say, no, don't do that. Because, why? Because we have a, a slightly bigger sense of the world. We know that the road's dangerous. We know that too much sugar will rot your teeth and mean you won't sleep tonight or something like that. And our ways and our motivations are just a little bit higher than these kids. When God speaks to us through his word, he doesn't just take us up a little bracket. He says, as the heavens are above the earth, as you look up at the starry host and try and fathom that the universe is expanding, sort of like that are my ways higher than your ways. The author, this book says we should set it apart because the author cares about us in ways that we can't even begin to know yet. The author has plans for us that are beyond our wildest dreams. The author of this book is going to resolve situations in ways that we can't even comprehend just now. Then it goes on to say, verse 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish. So I want, you, I want you to really hang on to verse 11 in this text. This is one of the moments where you go, if you don't get anything else, get this. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it won't return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word, kind of mind-blowing this, will achieve the purpose for which he sent it. This book, his word will achieve the purpose for which he sent it. Now, you can think maybe on your own little reading journey, where you're at with the Bible, how much it's influencing your life. God's word will achieve the purpose for which he sent it. What is the purpose for which he sent it? 
text tells us this is how it works. It's a beautiful thing to think about. God's word, the analogy that's used is it's like rain. It's like rain that comes down from the sky. So the first thing we're made to think about is the fact that unlike loads of the books that we write and the thoughts that we have that I think start from the ground up as we debate with each other, as we try and reason and we look up to the heavens and we, our books seem to go that way. God says, my word doesn't head up that way. This book doesn't go in that direction. This book comes down with authority. It washes over us. It comes down from heaven. That's the first thing. The second thing that the text tells us is that it comes down and like rain, it causes stuff to glow, glow, grow and flourish and bud. So I think when, when we look outside today, we think about rain slightly differently to people in the, in the Middle East or the ancient Near East would have done about rain. When it rains, we're generally a bit more miserable and we think, oh, I wish that we could get some sun. That's what we think, isn't it? We think differently about it. If you live in a different part of the world, you think differently about rain. When you see the rain, you think, oh, this is great. And if you saw the rain a couple of thousand years ago, maybe even in some parts of the world today, you will think, this means that my crop will grow. This means that this field that I'm looking at here that looks barren and looks dry and looks arid will blossom and bud and grow. This is the second thing that it tells us. It causes it causes flourishing. This is what God's word is there to do in our life. This book. And I would be convicted that it does do this. Even with some of the weird Old Testament stories and some of the dry anecdotal stuff. This book is here to cause us to bud and to, to flourish. To become what we were created to be. To be full of fruit. That's one of the uh, pictures that the Bible gives us. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, generosity. This book is here that we might bud and flower. We might grow and progress. Become what we were created to be. The other thing that this verse tells us is that it, it's like rain in that it brings provision. Do you see in the picture... The rain just doesn't come down. It says it gives bread for the eater, but also seed for the sower. It says God's word gives us bread. We can think of nourishment for just now. We can think of our day-to-day existence. God's word gives us, it gives us bread, gives us stuff for today, but it also, and this is, the, I think, the beauty of the way God's word works, because often you think when you read it, you think, well, why am I reading this? How is this helpful to me right now? One of the things that God's word does is it prepares us for the next season of life. The troubles that are coming down the way, it says his word is like seed for the sower. So this is what I would say to you about this word of God. This word of God in an incredible way is prepping you for who knows what down the line. But here's the biggie. Here's the heart of the passage, I think. Like rain, it achieves its purpose. This text is a picture of what hap- what um, of how our, our f- we get crops and we get fields to grow. It's a, it's a, it shows the meteorological cycle of life. The rain comes down, and as the rain comes down, stuff grows. It's a simple reminder of the nature of that. And you can imagine your guy from the ancient Near East looking out at his arid landscape 
and thinking how on earth, you know, maybe even popping seeds into the dry cracks in, in the fields and thinking how on earth is this ever going to turn into anything? Am I just wasting my time? And then he sees the skies fill up with rain and he sees the rain comes down. And you see this all over the ancient Near East. As the rains come down, the land goes green. That's the picture. And it's the picture for us. God's word, and you, you look at it and you go, that is how it is intended to be. When we see the cycle of life in, in that way, when we see the cycle of nature in that way, the rain comes down, you connect it all up, you go, yeah, I see it. The rain comes down, and of course, that connects the, to the crops, and the crops grow, the crops come up. And the earth flourishes. The Bible reminds us, and it says to us, nothing causes us to flourish. Nothing causes us to flourish. Nothing, cause, nothing like God's word to co- that causes God's purposes to flourish in us. There's nothing like the word of God to fulfill the purposes of God on this earth. There's nothing like, nothing like this book to fulfill God's purposes. And, and you sort of maybe listen to that now, and maybe you start to think, really? Really? Because my quiet time this morning was a genealogy in Matthew, and I fell asleep as I read it. Maybe you're saying that. I read through a list of endless names that I had no concept of who they were. You're saying, really? This is, this is, this is how God's going to shape his purposes? You say the other week, the preacher got up and he talked about King David, this sort of lauded king. And, and then I read it and it told me that he slept with a woman that he saw in the nude. And then he had her husband killed. This is really going to fulfill the purposes of God? Really? Really? Because I read it the other day and it had a list of things that I should be doing in my life, laws and rules that made me feel completely inadequate and just want to give up. It achieves its purposes, and this is the hub of the matter, it achieves its purposes by showing us God and our need of him in our life in Jesus. So read with me this text in Hebrews 1.4. I don't know if it's on the screen, I hope it is. Hebrews 1.4. This is the purposes of the book. This is what the book is about. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he spoke to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. I get this verse, verse 3. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things, by his powerful word. This book is the very definition of the purposes of God. Why? Because it's showing us who he is through Jesus. The Bible would tell us this book, this story, is all about him. The genealogies that we read and we think are so dry and are there to put us to sleep are telling us that we are there to connect God to us, to Jesus. They are there to point to the person that we need. The king that we see sleeping with the Bathsheba, the lady on the roof, and then killing her husband. The king that's there that we think, am I not supposed to worship this guy? Am I not supposed to 
how am I supposed to feel about this? The king that's there is to point to, is to show us that we need a better king, that we ache for a better king. The list of rules that are there, yeah, on the one hand, they're there to show us how to live and to guide us, but they're there to show us above and beyond that, that what we really need is grace. And for grace, we really need Jesus. The book is about him. The reason that it fulfills the purposes of God is because this whole story points us towards him. And when it points us towards him, it points us towards somebody that we look at and we say, I can't argue with this guy. It's not just working miracles, but he's good. And when we look at him, as we read the story and we see that it shapes towards him and it purposes towards him and it's leading towards him at every point, and then when we find him in the middle of the story, he says... This story is about me. This is why we can believe it. So there's a great story um, after Jesus had risen. He's on the road to Emmaus. And he finds some uh, disciples who are, who are running away. And as he explains to them what's going on, he says, do you not realize all of the law, all of the prophets, everything that's written there is about me. This is why we can trust this book and it's holy because it's about him. And when we find it's about him as we search through its pages and we see it pointing to him. We see him saying, yeah, this book's about me. This is why it's holy. So when we, when we read the stories about the scary Old Testament God and we think, what do I do with that? We know that we can trust him. When we declare that He's got superior ways. And we think, can anyone really say that? When we see Jesus, we think, yeah, we can trust him for that. When we think about those long lists of rules that are in the Bible that, make, that bore us to death or make us feel tiny and inadequate, we can see in Jesus that they're about him. They're about him and how he meets all of those needs and how we need grace just to get through the next day. The purposes of that book that we might find him and nothing. So this is where you need to think about how you're getting on. This, is, this was the challenge, I guess, that was put under my nose. God says to us in his word, nothing is going to point you there more directly than this book. His purposes are that you might find him in it. Uh, the last little note about this book so we've got, the, we've got the author of the book, his ways are higher than our ways. We've got the purposes of the book. We've also got the end. This is why you should keep this book in your life. This is why you should take joy in it, is it tells us what the end is like. I don't know if, you're, um, if you've got somebody in your life, uh, in those moments when you're watching something um, on the TV, and it gets either, it's either gets, it's late and it gets boring, or it gets scary, or you're just wondering whether you should stick with it, you Google it to see what happens at the end. You got anybody? I hate these people. If you, somebody that will Google it to see what happens at the end. Just because when we know what's at the end, when we know how the story ends, it totally reshapes how we stay with the storyline through to that point, doesn't it? When we know how the story ends, this tells us how the story ends. You'll go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the juniper will grow, and instead of the briars, 
myrtle will grow. One of the big stories that flows from the start of the Bible to the end of the Bible is that of a garden. It's the idea of a garden from start to finish. It's the garden that finished at the start. And that idea flows right the way through the Bible. And one of the things it says about the garden is the garden gets cursed. Chapter 1 or chapter 2 or chapter 3 of Genesis, it talks about this idea that the garden's cursed and the weeds are going to come up. And one of the things that the Bible says about life now and about life through the ages is that weeds are going to come up. Struggle's going to come. Stuff's going to get hard. And it's going to get to the point where you're going to look to the, towards the end of the story and think, how is, this, how is this going to work out? And it's going to feel like nothing could turn it around. Sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? Conversations that we'll have with friends and people about what's going on in the world at this moment. You could pick almost anything and you go, how is, it, how is this going to turn around for good? How is this going to end well on a global scale or on a personal scale? You can look at it and go, how is it going to turn around? How is this going to end well? The beauty of this book is that it tells us how the story ends. And it says that it ends well. It says that the world will sing. Creation will become all that it was supposed to be. It says quite beautifully, I think, where you'd expect bad things to grow, where you'd expect thorn bushes to grow, good things are going to grow. Good things are going to sprout up. When you know how the story is going to end, when you live inside of the story to the extent that you know how it's going to end, it changes the way that you live it. One of the things it tells us, I think, in this text, as we look at the world and we look maybe even at our own lives and we think nothing could turn, nothing could really turn this round. Nothing could really make this sink. The Bible says to us in this text, the big turnaround is on. God says to us, in the end, we can turn this whole thing around. And it points back into us and it says to any of us reading this story, the turnaround is on for any of us. But it doesn't just leave it there. It says that when you know how this story ends, it changes the way that you can live your life now. It changes your perspective. If you know at the end that God is doing something good, then it can change the way that you live life now. I don't know if it was last year, I think, when I watched very nervously the US Open final with uh, Emma Raducanu in it. And I'm a bit into my tennis, and I kind of couldn't, couldn't enjoy it because I was, I was like, oh, this is, she's so close to winning the US Open. And I was just so nervous as I watched, as I watched the final unfold. And I couldn't really, couldn't enjoy it. So, and I was talking to somebody about this afterwards, I watched it the next day after she'd won it. I watched it back. And it really changes things when you watch it back, when you know what the end's going to be like. See, when you watch it back for the second time, even, even this, like she cut her hand, in the final, there were moments where she made mistakes and all the rest of it. Even the struggles, even seeing somebody go through the struggles, when you know that the end is good, they become kind of a joy. See, when we live inside this book enough to know what the end is, to know what God's doing in our lives, the way he's turning things around, the way he's going to repair things, the incredible eternity that is before us, the way that God's going to bring things together in a way that we can't understand if we live inside of that, it's a miracle. Even the struggles of life, even the things that we would look at on the face of it and go, 
well, I've just lost my job. I'm sure this can't be the plan. I've come into a bit of tricky health. I'm sure this can't be the plan. God says to us, if we know what's at the end, we can have strength and joy along the way and in the moments. Here's what I would say about this book. Can you say that anything is holy? And on the one hand, you look at it and you go, it's just, it's just a fairly well put together book. It's just nice and neatly framed words on a page. But the story within it, the person that it points to, the word of God, the author that writes the book, the purposes behind it that point us to our Savior Jesus and the end that it has in store for us makes this paper book holy. I couldn't commend it to you enough. I hope that you find Jesus at the center of it.